People in our world are living in spiritual darkness, but the light of Jesus Christ is never dim. In this episode, a testimony of rebirth is told. Perhaps it resonates with your heart. After all, this is your story. Where would I be without your love? Where would I be without your grace? Father in heaven above, all of my sins you erased. You saved me from my life of misery and rewrote my history. This is my story, and to you be the honor and glory, y'all. Resurrected, born again, no longer a slave of this world I'm living in. Broke the chains that held me down, I've been set free, so let me testify. Michelle, the feeling of shame that you suffered with as a young girl growing up evolved into destructive behaviors. Well, Robert, um, growing up in the 60s and 70s and even part of the 80s, the school system really didn't understand kids that had learning struggles or challenges. I'm dyslexic, so one of the results of my dyslexia is numbers being mixed up. And I failed an exam, a math exam, and on handing it back into the teacher, I remember her saying, oh, look at all these kiss marks, is what she said. Then she took her broad-tipped red marker and drew an X on my nose to remind me how poorly I had done on the math test and an example to all the rest of the students. That was, they shamed you. That was their method of hoping that it motivated you to, to do better. They, she did not identify with that I had a, a learning challenge. And my dad said to me, how come we didn't know that? Like when you came home, when you came home off the bus, how did we not see that on your face? I washed it off. So my parents never knew that she had done that to me. It made school pretty unpleasant. I was terrified when a teacher called on me or if there was another math exam. It was, uh, you know, a pretty sad, sad time. You know, I was, I was pretty withdrawn. One of those destructive behaviors was an eating disorder. Can you tell us about that? I remember the earliest age I remember was 10 when I binged on food. Part of the reason was uh, not only was I rejected at school and had that, but I also would return home and never felt loved or valued, not by my parents. My parents loved and valued me. They actually really protected me because of those issues. The, they identified, they knew that there, you know, wasn't, I wasn't uh, at the same level, let's say, as my older siblings, which the teachers constantly reminded me also of why couldn't I be like my older siblings. But my siblings, relentlessly teased me, telling me that I was left on the doorstep and that nobody wanted me. And when I would go crying to my mom, she'd say, no, you weren't, never mind, don't go, just go off and play by yourself. 
And I would go up to them and I'd say, Mom said I wasn't left on the doorstep. And they'd reply with, well, of course she's going to tell you that. And I always felt totally unloved by them and devalued. So I did. I played a lot by myself or stayed, you know, stayed next to my mom's side while she baked or because she was a one of those homemakers where you had fresh bread every day and homemade soup and and everything. So I, um, yeah, so I know that, and it continued. Then the eating disorder went from binging to then getting rid of the food, so binging and purging. I remember going through phases of not eating or having an apple a day and thinking that that was a good day. Looking back, those feelings of rejection, many people suffer with that today. How how deep did that go in you as a little girl? Oh, that's huge. You know, every time something happened, a belittling remark or, you know, a whispering or, you know, at times there was physical, you know, uh, hurt. I would always just try to, in my own strength, just to get over it and not turn to food. I, I, I would have at the most three days where I knew that I didn't binge and purge as a result of something that happened. But I never, Robert, I never identified it as rejection until I became a Christian. You always believed that there was a God. Why? My father raised us Catholic. He was the one that was responsible to getting us to church every Sunday. Mom dressed us. We were all in matching outfits. There's five of us where some of us are even less than a year old. Mom never attended church with us, but Dad was diligent that we went to Mass every Sunday, midnight Mass, all the Easter services, etc., I always knew there was a God or felt that there was a God. And I'm so thankful that I have that root, that our my father, my dad, showed us that there was a God and brought that belief into, into my life because, I yeah, it's a root. I had that root knowing without a doubt the evidence is all around us that uh, there is a creator. And actually, that's where I found my most peace and presence. I would go, I was raised uh, in Saskatchewan. My dad was a grain farmer. And that's where I found peace always, was going out and walking outside in the grain fields or, or wherever I found. I always had a presence of of God. People um, always have their own personal struggles with faith and with a variety of religions. You did as well, too. In the Catholic Mass, you say the Our Father. And it would, I started getting emotional during it. I'd get teary eyed every time we would say it, and I would think to myself, this is crazy like I'm losing it. That's what I would, you know, I would think. And I would like drop my head and try to get control of myself because I didn't understand why is this always happening to me when we're saying the Our Father. So that was one thing. 
And I was also then became very sensitive of the people around me regarding if they were even paying attention during the service. I would smell alcohol at different seasons during, you know, during uh, the year when people came to Mass. And I never, you know, I never experienced that before. And I was becoming more actually a little irritated if I smelled alcohol next to me. Not that I didn't drink or anything like that, but it was, we're at, we're at church. Or when I saw people talking or laughing or leaving early, you know, during service and that kind of stuff. So it really, I, I would ask my, I started asking my dad, well, actually even early, as a child, I'd ask my dad, but I was asking more questions like, why do we kneel then? Why are we lighting candles? Um, why do we pay to have our prayers accepted? Different things like that. And I didn't read the Bible on my own, so I always went to my dad for answers. I didn't go to the Bible for answers at all. You mentioned that uh, during the services, um, something moved you. What do you think that was? I believe that it was the Holy Spirit and the actual the, the presence of God and Jesus. I didn't have a relationship with Jesus either. It was solely, I keep talking about God because that's really what it was. It was always God, God, God. And yes, his son died for me on the cross. And there's this Holy Spirit thing, you know, happening. But it was always just God. I had a relationship and believing in God. You had a unique term for your brother. What was it? Jesus freak. In the 90s also, there was a char the charismatic movement in the Catholic Church. He just preached. He was in everybody's face, just preaching that you had to have Jesus. You had to have a relationship with Jesus. But with all these experiences, Michelle, nothing spiritual or, or religious up to this point stuck with you, correct? No, no, not yet. I mean, I thought he was like too much. I thought he was so bold and it was just a little bit too much. I, I wasn't there. I would listen to him, but I wasn't quite there. I was still searching on my own and asking actually all my, uh, all my close friends, don't you think that there's more to this than like what we're doing, going to church on Sunday? And then Monday to Saturday, doing our own thing, and then going to church, going to confession on that odd Friday. And they'd always reply with, no, I think this is good. I think we're good. You know, what are you doing Friday? You know, whatever. And I just, there was just this stirring in me that just, it kept on for quite a, quite a while. Michelle, up to this point, physically, you're struggling with an eating disorder. But spiritually, something is taking place. Something is happening. Some of the faiths that you've been involved in, they're a bit irritating. And so you're stepping out. You're reaching. Something is stirring within you. And at this point, the Catholic charismatic movement began. And you were personally challenged. And that challenge led to a response that literally began to change your life. 
What happened? My dad and I attended a Billy Graham crusade that was being held in Regina. And like every Billy Graham crusade at the very end, there's an altar call. And I was, through the whole crusade, I was just vibrating inside. And I looked at my dad and I said, Dad, I'm going down. And he just kind of looked at me and he went, I think he even asked me why, and I just said, I, I'm going, I'm going down. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm doing this. And I went down and I, ex- I accepted Jesus in my life. And I knew at that time, that's exactly what I had been missing. I had never asked Jesus to come into my life. I had a relationship with God. I believed that he had a son, and but I had never asked him to come into my life, into my heart. That was the missing puzzle all that time. I just had to be told or been given that invitation to ask Jesus into my life. And when that happened, How did you feel inside? How did you begin to live differently? I was being convicted, challenged, however you, you know, you want to call it, of to make things right in my life. It was like my eyes just were open. My eyes were open. My ears were open. Uh, I was more sensitive to people that were around me. I started remembering actions or people that I that I hurt and, and so on it was like all this stuff just just came at me to make things right one of those things had to do with cups yes tell me about that these cups have a story to them because whenever I went out for a coffee and I liked the logo I would actually take that cup back home with me. When I became a Christian, I was convicted of that because I justified it back then, right? Like, oh, you know, whatever, as if they're going to miss one cup. Always justified it. But then I was convicted once I became a Christian that you actually stole those cups and you need to return them. I loaded up my car with three boxes of coffee mugs and I went to every establishment and confessed my sin and was also going to accept whatever consequence the manager of the establishment was going to give me. But I felt I needed to go and return the cups and tell them that I stole their cup and to ask for forgiveness. And each establishment looked at me with such a blank look, like they were just baffled that I was doing this. And each establishment said, you can have it. It's okay, you can have it. So I still have some of those mugs. You had mentioned your eating disorder. Yes. Did that ever end? Yes, I'm happy to say it has. I attended a course and it talked about rejection. And it it talked about that it was a huge root 
and a, a lot of behaviors were under the umbrella of rejection. When they started talking or teaching about rejection, I, uh, some emotions were welling up in me and I was fighting it because, you know, in, when you when you're trying to fight back crying or laughing and you're just vibrating and you're just you know uh, holding it and my my friend at the time that was attending it with me said go up and tell them go up and tell them that you are about to lose it and I did and at that moment I lost it I cried uncontrollably I became so weak even that I, I dropped to the ground on my knees. And people surrounded me. And they laid hands on me. And they prayed and they prayed. And then they, I remember they instructed me, stand up. Stand up, Mitch. And they had to help me to my feet. They had to support me. And it was like this weight, this burden, this weight was gone. It like finally like I could stand there. Yeah. I could stand by myself. The tears stopped. I stopped crying. And it was, whew, it was, I was light. I was, I was light. You were free. I was free. Yeah. Yeah, I was free. This is a childhood Bible. I believe everybody got a Bible like this, received a Bible for their first communion. And so this goes way back, way back. And right now I'm looking at the book of Ephesians, which I enjoy. I read over and over again, Ephesians. It's such a solid, solid book. And right now I'm in Ephesians 5 and I want to share with you verses 8 through to 10. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, providing what is acceptable unto the Lord. Yeah, and it just reminds me how darkness is past, and I am to continue in the light and to do everything that pleases the Lord. Now the shame. Were you able to forgive all those people who shamed you in your past? All of them. Forgiveness is an ongoing process. And every time a memory is triggered, Sometimes like a movie will trigger a memory or, uh, yeah, just all of a sudden a random thought comes into my head. 
I have to forgive again, just like in Matthew 18, the parable of the unmerciful servant. Peter asked Jesus, how many times do we forgive? And Jesus replied with 70 times seven. And that parable is, is talking about forgiveness and grave consequences if you don't forgive. And it's an on, ongoing because people are always, you know, we're, we're flawed. You know, I'm flawed. He forgave us first. Not only do I have to forgive all those teachers in the past, all the other, my classmates, forgive my siblings. I also had to ask for forgiveness for the people that I hurt during those years. I stole from my roommate. That was a hard one to go up and ask for forgiveness. And her reply was, why didn't you just ask me? I would have gave it to you. I, I had to, I, I was shown to ask forgiveness to guys that I went out with that I treated like crap. One guy, however, asking forgiveness didn't, wouldn't uh, accept. And that was different. You know, it was walking away from someone who went, no. Nope. And I was like, oh, okay. And I always think today, if God will put him in my path again, you know, 30 years later, and I'll ask him again if, if he could forgive me. I don't know of any other source of freedom except through Christ, because I tried everything. I, I tried everything on my own, uh, other types of counseling, and it wasn't until I had Christ in my life that I had freedom, true freedom. Wanting to make things right between you and another person is important. But what's most important is making things right with God. Why? Because our own sin has separated us from God. And the only way that relationship can be made right is by believing that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin, was buried, and rose again the third day according to the Bible. You have a choice to make. If you want your relationship to be made right with God through Jesus Christ, call our 24-7 prayer line at 1-866-273-4444. If you want to learn more about the gospel of Jesus Christ and how it can transform your life, you can request a free Bible by calling toll-free 1-888-482-4253. You can begin your journey with Christ now. One person had asked me about my faith and then in response said, well, it's just a crutch to you. And I thought to myself, yeah, he's my crutch. I feel safe and yeah, it feels good. And I'm proud to say that Jesus is the one and only thing that I can lean on.